My culture at my company a handful of years ago sucked. I can tell you that. It was awful. And it was because I didn't lead in feminine and in my vulnerability. And so the thing is, is that now I do, and it takes time and it takes practice and it takes being super intentional and mindful about how you respond and not reacting. And that is really the key is to respond and not react. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Here is a powerful truth. We are all dealing with trauma, whether it is big trauma that we experience as children or even as adults, or the micro trauma that adds up over time. Emotional trauma is everywhere, and so many of us are affected by it. When we lose someone or something we love, or a stressful event breaks a part of our sense of security, we can begin to view our environment and those around us as dangerous, even if a certain event doesn't cause us any physical harm, but we're in a state of fear that can absolutely cause us to feel traumatized. Here are some of the most common types of emotional trauma that many of us have endured either once or twice in our life. Divorce or relationship breakup, loss of health, so getting a diagnosis that completely just took you off guard, losing a job, loss of financial stability, miscarriage, retirement, death of a pet, loss of a cherished dream, a loved one's serious illness, loss of a friendship, loss of safety after trauma, selling the family home. As a result of emotional trauma, we can begin to feel numb, disconnected, and lose our trust in others. It can take a lot of time for this pain to go away and for us to feel safe. If the trauma we've experienced is psychological, we may even suffer from troubled memories, anxieties, emotions, and feeling triggered, and maybe even lashing out at friends and family when we are feeling unsafe. When we experience emotional trauma, oftentimes we are told to focus on ourselves, but it can be much easier said than done. When it feels like the way of the world is on our shoulders, it's challenging to even find the strength to lift your leg to begin to put one foot in front of from the other. In fact, finding strength to heal from emotional trauma can feel utterly exhausting and debilitating at times. However, it's one of the most important things that we can do for our well-being. It's important to maintain the principle of keeping it simple when you begin your healing journey to avoid overwhelm, frustration, or the desire to give up entirely. With that in mind, I wanted to just share five simple but necessary steps for healing. And we're going to be covering a lot of these steps with my guest, Michelle Norris, today as she shares her story around one of the biggest traumas that, well, that any of us would have a hard time recovering from. So here are five steps for healing. Number one, probably the easiest and sometimes probably the hardest is a willingness to heal. Number two, accepting support from loved ones and friends when you're on that healing journey. Three, seek the assistance of a trained professional. I did a episode with Dr. Lisa Radkin a little bit back. I want to say it was in September 
And we talked a lot about the different types of modalities that are out there right now. It was episode 123, in case you want to go back and listen to that. But we talked about some of the the really great work that's being done in healing trauma. So that may be an episode worth going back to. Number four, practice meditation and mindfulness. I know for me, meditation and mindfulness have been huge in overcoming trauma. Five, incorporate movement into your daily routine. It's incredible how important and how nourishing movement can be for the body, whether it's yoga, dancing, hiking, just walking in the neighborhood, just moving your body can really crank those happy neurotransmitters. Yoga and other forms of physical activity release endorphins as well and make you feel safe and stable. So it's vital to get that regularly engaged physical activity to create positive feelings which may have torn down that emotional trauma. I also love essential oils as an anchor. I love jasmine, rose, alang-alang. I love melaleuca for helping to ward off negative energy. Lavender, frankincense, these are all great oils. I have a couple of blends like releasing negative feelings, negative emotions, and helping to protect your energy. Those are on my Instagram, which is at Dr. Marisa, in case you want to go and find those um, really beautiful blends. Today, I'm really excited to bring on my guest, Michelle Norris, who I mentioned earlier. She'll be sharing her story of how she triumphed over one of the biggest losses in her life. I hope you're as inspired by her story as I am. She's one of my dearest friends, and I've been wanting to have her come on for so long, and today is the day. Now, before we jump into this powerful conversation with Michelle, I just want to take a moment and celebrate you. One particular health rock star is Laura, and I'm excited to shout out her win that she shared on Instagram just a couple days ago. Dr. Marisa, your episode on optimizing your liver is exactly what I needed to hear. I had no idea the liver was involved in so much with my body, especially my hormones. I've been struggling with estrogen dominance for over a year now, and never once did my liver get brought up. I really appreciated the recommendations you gave. They sound so easy. I am getting started on at least three of the recommendations that you had in the episode this week to help my estrogen metabolize better. Now, if you missed that episode, it wasn't that long ago. It was actually on New Year's Eve. I thought it was a great opportunity to set the tone for the new year. It was episode 154. It was just a few weeks ago. I am so thrilled, Laura, that you are excited to jump on that liver-loving bandwagon. I try to love my liver up every single day. I'm definitely holding space for your continued healing miracles. And if you are listening, Laura, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution. Part three is all about resetting that liver and resetting those hormones, especially estrogen dominance. So I think this will be such a great, great opportunity for you to dive into that part three of the book to really give your liver and your hormones some extra love. Now, all you got to do is reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram so we can get that book to you right away. If you are listening, number one, welcome to the show. Happy New Year. I know we're talking about trauma today, but oh goodness, it is, it's such a great way to start the new year and how, how to figure out how to manage that trauma. As I mentioned earlier, you know, trauma comes in so many forms. And for me, what I recognize in trauma is that someone says the wrong thing or I'm feeling stressed in a situation and I kind of trigger or revert back to a former self. And so having these techniques, having, you know, being mindful about your triggers, I think is so powerful. I hope that you gain so much from this episode and the many episodes to come because this podcast is 
all about empowerment. Now, if there are episodes that have helped you in any way or form, please reach out to me. I would love to shout you out. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes. We have over 400 reviews on iTunes right now, which is amazing. And what's so great about that is it just really opens the door for more women to discover this and to really open the door for what's possible on their health journey. So let's dive into this incredible conversation with Michelle Norris. But first, I want to sing her praises. Michelle is a former corporate warrior, trained chef, and multi-potential whose health issues and struggles with traditional medicine inspired her to upend the way the world tackles health, wellness, and prosperity. She is one of the biggest paleo, most outspoken evangelists. She is the CEO of Paleo FX, which is the largest paleo event in the world. She's a passionate speaker, motivator, and guiding light to those seeking a new path from a broken healthcare system and a disabled economic system. So join me in welcoming Michelle to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Michelle Norris. How are you doing today? Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure. You know, I am so, so blessed to have been dear friends of yours for a couple of years now, and your story is so powerful. I've always been inspired by you. You're such an inspiration to me, and I'm so happy to have you on to really dig deeper into that. One of the things that people should know about you is that you are the CEO of the largest paleo event in the world, Paleo FX, and I am so grateful that I get to speak there. But I know that Paleo Effects is a byproduct of your biggest trauma and that it came from really having to heal from a lot of pain. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yes. So May 2009, I'm planning an enormous party. It's going to be a big, huge celebration for my family. My daughter is graduating from college. She's first one in my family with a four-year degree. And we we're going to celebrate... Mother's Day, and her birthday, her 23rd birthday. On her birthday, we ended up celebrating her life. She was killed three days before her birthday and one week before that college graduation when we had that party all planned. And so it was a really, to say it was the hardest time of my life would be a complete understatement, but it was also the most transformational time in my life. Because what I realized in having her memorial service, we were there, it was at her college. It was her first one, actually, of of three here in the United States. And then there was two that were held in two other countries. What we found out that night was, you know, you always think that your kids are really great and amazing and wonderful and all of that stuff. But we had like really no idea how she had impacted the world. And so the evening of her memorial service, they had a a receiving line for us. And we stood and received literally almost 700 people that were in attendance. I felt like just about every single person there had something to say to us. And what they were telling us was how Brittany had changed her life. And it was very specific and very profound. It was not topical or artificial. It was, or superficial. It was this, she changed my life because she said this, she changed my life because she did that. And we stood there really in awe and just totally shocked and very humbled. 
and realized that in this very short life she had, she had impacted people all around the world, which is why there ended up being two other memorial services, one in Ireland and one in South Africa. She had just returned from a mission trip in South Africa. She had been there for three and a half months. And there were people that were in South Africa from Ireland that were so impacted by her that they held a memorial service for her as well. Just kind of transpired was that Keith and I started talking and we were like, you know, we can't let this legacy die with her. We have to figure out how to carry it on. And Brittany was a very gifted and beautiful musician and singer. She was a a music and worship ministry major and had planned to be a minister and work in the mission field. So she had gifts of prophecy and she had gifts of, you know, obviously music and singing and preaching. And she was just, she was amazing when she was in that element. She was, I don't even know how to describe who she was and what she was like when she was in that space, but it was, it was spectacular. And um, we started really thinking about it. How do we carry on this legacy when those are not our gifts. And after a while we started, okay, well, we change the world with the gifts we have and our gifts are health and wellness and fitness and food and nutrition. And um, so we decided that that was the path that we were going to take to start helping people change their lives. And she was killed in 2009 and fast forward to 2011, we had an opportunity open up for us. We were in Los Angeles, we had attended the inaugural ancestral health symposium, which for us, we believe is kind of like our sister symposium. It's kind of yin and yang. They are the theory and we are the practice of the paleo world. And so when we were there, we were sitting literally on the runway at LAX, getting ready to fly home after the conference. And I'm, you know, telling Keith, I really loved this conference. It was really great. I've been in event planning, by the way, for over 20 years at this point. And that's what you had done in the corporate world. Because at this time, you were still in, you were still a corporate warrior in a lot of ways. Yes, I was. We ended up leaving the corporate world behind. But yeah, so we were started talking and we just realized, okay, I was telling Keith, well, you know, it would be great is if they did this and they did that, like they had cooking demonstrations and workout demonstrations and they did all of these things that would be considered more hands-on kind of rubber meets the roads type of stuff. It would be the practice. <laughs> and so Keith said, well, and, and the Ancestral Health Symposium is a decidedly academic conference. And we're obviously decidedly not. So Keith was like, well, it's an academic conference. I don't think that they're going to end up adopting any of that. And I was like, oh, that's true. And I was like, well, there should be a conference for that. And he said, well, I agree. And then he was like, well, maybe that's what we need to do. And so we, you know, ended up deciding then that we wanted to look into doing the PaleoFX event. And by October, we had made the decision we were going to do it. And by March 14th, which happens to also be me and Keith's anniversary, we launched PaleoFX on March 14th, 2012. So we're going into our ninth year to our ninth event. And we're super excited about what we have kind of ahead of us and what we have planned for the future. I love, I love that in the process of just overcoming so much, so much hurt and so much pain and so much loss that you guys were able to create such a massive, massive movement in a lot of ways. I want to go back a little bit, you know, in those, in those couple of years, not only recognizing how much Brittany had done in the world and not really understanding the impact that she had in the world and wanting to continue that legacy in creating an impact in your own right. I know that so often we can get stuck 
when we're when we're on a lot of struggle. What were some of the the tools that you guys had? I mean, what I love about you and Keith, and for those of you, Keith is as Michelle's husband, who was there with her and throughout this whole process. And you guys have your relationship and your marriage has just grown stronger. And you know, earlier this year, I had the opportunity to watch you guys get remarried, which was such a special, special opportunity and experience. It's so amazing. But tell me a little bit about how was that for your marriage? How were you guys able to keep keep your marriage so strong? And and also, you know, what were what were things that you were able to do to kind of help heal? You know, I'm you never never ever you're always feeling that right. You're always missing her. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, that's the thing about grief. You don't control it. <laughs> it comes and goes. I always like likened it to like the tide. Like there were days where the, you know, the tide was low and then there were days when the waves rolled in and I just learned to ride the waves. And really the thing is, is at the end of the day, most of the time, what we're trying to do in this time is get away from all of the feelings and all the emotions. We want to get away from all of that stuff. When in reality, what's best for us is for us to go through all of that stuff and for us to actually feel all the feels. And we try to stop all the feels. We try to end them. We we do it with everything from any kind of illicit drug to alcohol to other types of addictions, sex, you name it, things that we escape with. And the thing is, is that the best thing to do is allow yourself to go through it and feel it all because it needs to release from your body. Because if you don't release it from your body down the road, it's going to turn into disease. And that's what, that's what trap trauma does is it just, it, when it, once it's trapped in your body and you don't release it, you're going to end up ultimately down the road with some type of disease state. And this is something that we recognize is very important is that we stop trying to stop all the feels. The other part is really just being very patient with yourself and very kind with yourself, allowing yourself the time that you need and the space that you need for this. Because no one can tell you the right way to grieve. I can tell you I had a number of people tell me that I needed help and that I was that I should be over it already when I think it was about six or eight weeks after she died that I was told I should be over it. And the thing is, is this is something that you never get over. It's something you move past, but you don't ever get over it because it's something that you will. I mean, she was my daughter. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like she was a pet gerbil, you know? I mean, I imagine if you love, like I just recently lost a pet and it was very, very hard for me, very difficult to have lost the pet. But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, if you have feelings or whatever for that, it's not, it, you're going to. I'm going to miss my dog for a, for forever. I'm going to miss him for forever. And for me to be able to be safe in that and be okay in that is my, I'm the only one that can say whether or not it's, it's right, wrong or whatever. I'm the only one that can say that nobody can tell me how I'm supposed to grieve because it's so personal. And so just allow yourself all the time and space that you need to be able to go through that and don't allow other people's judgments of how, where you're at or how you're responding to things be an indicator of whether or not you're, you know, there's something wrong with you. Obviously the only thing that we can definitely claim that there is a problem with is if there's some self-harm or harming someone else because of, of grief. And those are the things where you need help. But if you're just like, I was just, 
depressed and sad and missing her every single day. And my days at the beginning when she died were spent sitting on Facebook. Why just sitting on her Facebook page because people were writing things to her nonstop for quite a while. And so I would just sit there and wait for somebody to post something because it was, for one thing, Facebook was a big connection for Brittany and I because she was away at school and her phone didn't, her, she, her phone service was not very good where she was at. So a lot of times we would get on Facebook and be on messenger together and talking on messenger or what have you, because that was a lot easier than trying to get on the phone because we would usually get cut off on the phone. And so it was my connection to her. And that's what I was honoring was my connection to her. So I just realized that I needed to do things the way that I needed to do things for me to feel okay. And then there was a point where I finally realized that, okay, I need to start really doing something with all of these feelings and with all of these wanting to do something to really impact other people and change other people's lives. And one thing that happened was other parents that lost their children, I started being connected by other people to these people to help them. And that ended up in turn helping me, started helping heal me more. So like I said, just really honor your feelings and allow them to release and allow yourself to to grieve in whatever way is right for you because nobody else can tell you that. I really love that. I really thank you so much for for sharing that because so often people are totally, one, we we usually have been taught to suppress our emotions and not even feel them, not let us move through them. In that in particular situation with grief is everyone does have an opinion about how long it should take or what it should look like. Even within the family, I know that when somebody is lost or you lose somebody that family members are going to grieve differently. And that can really be that can really be hard as well. And I don't know if there was a difference between how Keith was grieving and how you were grieving. Did you guys feel really connected? I mean, so often I know that parents or that spouses, either they stay stronger or they end up growing apart depending on how they're managing their grief. Well, we definitely um, grieved in very different ways. Brittany, a biological daughter, and she was Keith's stepdaughter. And so there was a little difference there because of that. But there was also... He's a man and I'm a woman. And so and he's a manly man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me, don't get me wrong. He cried. He um, had really down moments when Brittany passed. He and Brittany had a very, very good, very close relationship. And they were very, they had a real friendship too. So it was really rough for him because they would have very long, deep philosophical conversations. <laughs> and so... Mm-hmm. I believe that 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so he really missed that and he missed having that relationship. And so, yeah, we definitely grieved differently. I think we just supported each other in the way that we each grieved and we just allowed that to be. And I never felt like I was more entitled to grieve more, if that makes any sense. I never felt like it was like, well, she was my biological daughter. So I'm, you know, I just, Everyone had their space and time and and their place for grieving because she was a loss to the whole world, not just me. And so that was something that I realized very, very quickly with messages and what have you that were that were sent to me about, you know, how 
people loved Britney and just really were having a hard time with her loss. And that was the other part that was helpful too, was that I was helping other people through their grief of Britney as well. So what's interesting is though, Keith and I really were, were fine all through all of that. And once we started Palo FX and we had, we started moving through Palo FX, what started really happening is because I'm the CEO and I, until 2015, I was the only person working for Paleo Effects. I had volunteers when it, the event take place, but up until December of 2015, I, I was it. I was the only one that was working for Paleo Effects. So I was doing everything. There was a point for me where I got to a point where I realized that I was operating very much in my masculine and it was actually doing a whole lot of harm to the business and a lot of harm to my marriage. So Keith and I had to really work through a lot of that. We started doing a lot of personal work and a lot of work, particularly with power plants or plant medicines, ayahuasca in particular. And ayahuasca really helped me understand how much trauma, even though I had released so much of Brittany's grief, I had lots of other trauma that was in my body that I needed to release. And there, so I went about that process, but then there was the recognition that I, because I was the CEO of Pale Effects and my business partners were all men, I recognized that I was trying to mimic what I believed was the way a man would run the business. The problem with that was, is that I'm mimicking masculinity very wrong because instead of being strong, it was more, I'm the CEO. And I said, so I was very direct about things. It was just very much in a very masculine state of handling the business. And so it really turned a lot of people off. And it also, once we were hiring employees and everything, they didn't want to work for me very long. <laughs> so once I started recognizing that I needed to operate in my feminine and that I also, I think one of the very first lessons that I, I learned through plant medicine was that control is an illusion. We think that we have control of everything or that we're controlling all of the stuff, but when in reality, the only thing you can control is you. The only thing you can control is whether or not you react or you respond to something. And reaction is obviously knee jerk and usually comes out sideways and response is intentional and thoughtful and usually works out a whole lot better. The other part of that, that I realized through ayahuasca was that I didn't want to control anything. What I wanted to do was influence. And the difference between the two things is that if you are being respectful to others and you're leading in an authentic place, which would be from my feminine, not my masculine, you're going to have people respect you and trust you. And then therefore you can influence how they end up ultimately deciding for themselves how to do something. And so that was what kind of shifted really in a big way our business, but it also helped shift things in our me and Kate's marriage. The other part of that too, is that we believe very heavily in human design and human design in our opinion is kind of like your underlying operating system. And so when you find out that you're operating <laughs> against your design, against how you're made. And when we recognized that we were like, Oh wow. Okay. 
And it made life a lot easier, a lot easier for both of us because there were things that we took personally that the other one did that was just an innate, an innate part of their design and the way that they were made to operate in the world. And so it finally, it, it kind of gave us each permission to be who we actually are and for the other one to recognize that it wasn't about them. It had nothing to do with them and that it was okay to accept it and let it go because there was these kind of areas where you could within your design or whatever, there's these areas that are kind of non-negotiable. It's just how the design is made. And then there was these other areas where it's all you totally collaborative can, these can be negotiated. These are things that this one likes and this one doesn't or what have you. And you can go through. And once we realized all of that, it just changed things so dramatically for our relationship. And we really became so much closer and just really reconnected and wanted to reconnect and actually recommit. So that that's so we we're at our, our re- renewal. <laughs> yeah, that's the renewal. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about being, you know, here we are kind of first couple generations where women are stepping into CEO roles, right? And not even, I'm talking about a CEO role of a kind of a cultural self-empowerment you know, movement, you know, people really choosing how they want to take care of their bodies, people really thinking about, you know, being very intentional about how they take care of their bodies and you really opening the door for that pathway and bringing in these experts. That's a lot of responsibility, right? You can feel that in, in opening the door for people. But here we are as women stepping into these companies. We see this vision, right? We want to do big in the world and we don't really have a ton of female role models coming in really showing us how to do it in the feminine. You know, only thing we really have ever seen. And my, my mom was a single mom when I was growing up. She's still, still kind of still single mom. She's been single for a minute. And what's really interesting is my mom has been in her masculine, you know, for the most part, most of my life. I remember when I was 24 years old, I was a biochemist and my mom told me I needed to buy my first house because at the end of the day, even if I get married or I date some guy, I always have my own place to turn to. Like you will always have your own thing. Like that was just kind of the way, like, don't let anyone take any of your stuff. Like you need to own your stuff. And it was, I, so I grew up in this kind of very masculine way of thinking. So as I'm also the CEO of my business and you, you know, Alex very well. I know you love Alex to death. I adore Alex. Oh my gosh. Such a sweetheart. He's my favorite people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I really had to work a lot. To, you know, it's what I know. It's what I grew up with, you know, watching my mom be in this corporate world, all of her bosses, all of her colleagues, all men in her industry, and really kind of having to step away from that masculine and try to step into my feminine. Are there things now that have come very natural to you? Was it difficult to transition from kind of that masculine role to a feminine role? Talk to me a little bit about that because so many women don't even know they're living in it. It actually took a lot of mindfulness and really thought around how I was really coming across to my team. So this is the thing. When women are in a place of leadership or or uh, power, most of the time, particularly in this country, in the United States, when a woman is in that type of space, what happens is she generally operates in a masculine way because she's in still in a man's world. It's like what you said: we're in still in the first generation of women really becoming powerful and becoming CEOs and that type of thing. This just wasn't, when you think about it, our parents' generation is the last generation where the women were still, there were still women at home. 
and the men were the primary breadwinners and the women stayed home with the kids. There was a handful, my, my mom and your mom included, that we were kind of part of the first generation of women that started being single and everything. That was all, this is all still new. So when you see women that are in power and they start op- operating, they, they're operating in a way that they believe will make them successful in the world. So there's no place for emotion, vulnerability, any of that kind of thing. No, no place for intuition in the business place as far as women are concerned, because men will see that as weak. And so we show up and we start leading. And what we do is we mimic we mimic what we think men would do. The problem with that is that's not who we are. It's not how we were made. So, you know, you've heard women will say, well, if, if a man did what I did, he'd be called assertive or he would be called, you know, whatever. He would all get accolades for what, what I do. But when I do it, I'm called a bitch. The reason you're being called a bitch is because it's not authentic to who you are. And if you're not authentic to who you are, you're going to get called out for that. I got called out for it. I'm just saying I'm, I'm been that in the boardroom where everybody in in the group is looking at me like, well, are you serious? Like <laughs> the problem is, is that when you lead in a place of feminine, you're going to lead with intuition. You're going to lead with your gut instinct. You're going to lead with vulnerability and you're going to lead with motion because that's who we are. That's what we were made for. And we're going to be far more nurturing than men are. And that also can be seen as weak. I say that that's a strength because at the end of the day, your team wants you to take care of them. Your team wants you to support them. Your team wants to be, feel like they have some say in what they do. And when you step away and let them do that, let them be the leaders of whatever it is that they're doing. And that's just our tendency to nurture is to nurture that in others. We, when we step into feminine and we actually are allowing those things to happen, I can tell you my business is completely different now, like totally different. Everybody that works for me right now would tell you they love working for me and that they love the culture that I have at my company and my culture at my company a handful of years ago sucked. I can tell you that. And it was awful. And it was because I didn't lead in feminine and in my vulnerability. And so the thing is, is that now I do, and it takes time and it takes practice and it takes being super intentional and mindful about how you respond and not reacting. And that is really the key is to respond and not react. I love that. And I think Brene Brown does such a great, great job of showing us how to lead in our vulnerability and love that a a woman like Brene Brown is really showing the world how to really connect in with vulnerability, with our intuition. And not to say it's all for her, it's a feminine trait, but there's a lot of things. I mean, she, at the end of the day, she's still a woman. And so you can see some of that, like you can see that, that servant leadership come through with her. And that's really where I think you stepped into as well as that powerful servant leadership. I want to step into Paleo FX for a moment because you, you know, it was a one-man show, a one-woman show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one-woman show All until two thousand. It was apparently a man, and I didn't know anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was operating. One-woman like- show acting as a man. Yeah, in until two thousand and fifteen. And the point is, here we are moving into 2020 and in such a big new decade with that 2020 vision. When you started this, when you guys had this vision, you're in LAX. You, you you're like, you know what? 
we've got to do this. This is what we should be doing. And you, you fast forward to almost a decade later, did you think that Paleo FX was going to be as big as it is today, that it was going to make such a powerful change in the world? You know, and how does that feel today, kind of stepping into 2020? Wow. Okay. So <laughs> in all honesty, the plan was not for it to be as big as it was day one until year three. That was our plan. We really planned on having a really small, intimate gathering if you will, at our gym. We were owners of, of, of a small boutique style personalized training gyms. And so we had planned on doing this event at our gym, having some talks, having some panels, having some cooking demonstrations, some workout sessions, all of that at our gym. So we were really planning for about 150 people. That's what our plan was. And we started talking and making plans for everything. And then we had uh, someone that came in that we were meeting with that showed up at one of our meetings a little bit early. And so they overheard everything we were talking about. And they started talking to us about, wow, I heard what you're wanting to do. I think that's great. But why are you trying to keep it so small? And we were like, well, you know, just, you know, first year we'll grow it. And they and, you know, to, to the ancestral health symposium was about, 400 people, I think the first year, 400 to 500 the first year. So we were like, oh, we'll get to that size in about three years. And they were like, well, you should probably try to get to that size now. Like, why not do it that way? Like, well, bandwidth, I had a catering company at the time. We had the gins, all of that stuff. So a lot of us just really didn't have a whole lot of bandwidth to do this. And so well, he said, well, you know what? I've got some time. I'd, I'd love to be involved and, and devote some time to this. And we're like, all right. So we made a decision to, you know, go big. Go and big or go home, right? What a little upgrade. Just like maybe, maybe go bigger. Yeah. So we did. And we had 600 people in attendance the first year. We are now, our total attendance is a little over 8,000 this last year with the unique visitors being somewhere around 5,400, but our plan is to hit 10,000 this year. This is the thing is that, did I see it back then? No, not quite this big. I knew it would grow. I knew it would get bigger, but I didn't know that it would be this big and that we would have opportunities to go into other countries at this point. So that part kind of surprised me, but honestly, I don't think we're big enough. Because for anybody to go another day in a state of poor health or disease state, when, when most, most disease states can be prevented because just from lifestyle um, changes. And so for any person to go one more day without the possibility of changing that status is one day too many for me. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not big enough yet. And I don't know when it will be big enough, but I do know this is that I ultimately feel like people need to really, truly understand that the responsibility for your health is yours. You don't only just have that right, but it is your responsibility. You don't have to wait on a doctor to do that. You don't have to wait for some health practitioner to tell you you don't have to do any of that. You aren't beholden to anybody. You can be your own citizen scientist and figure out what works best for you. And at the end of the day, 
that's in your best interest and it's in your control. You're the only one that can actually control all of that. And so when we turn over power of our health to another individual who does not have the same type of investment in who you are and and in your life and in your health that you do, that's a problematic. And for people to do that and they do it over and over and over again is you really truly have the right and you have the responsibility to make your own medical and health decisions. You know, the thing is, is like, you know, JJ's story when Grant was hit by a car. The thing is, is if JJ had listened to the doctors and had done what the doctors told her to do, she would have made her son. And instead, she didn't listen to what they told her to do. She didn't listen at all to them. She did everything that she made the decisions for. And he's alive and well today. And the thing is, is that is that can be the case for so many people. The problem is, is that we just blindly follow doctors because we think that they know everything. And, you know, I, I adore you and you're a doctor, but you know that what I'm saying is so true that so many people just get caught up. You're all still human. But at the end of the day, I know you love all of the people that you've helped and treated and everything, but you can't be their advocate for them. You just don't have that kind of time. And doctors just don't have that kind of time. And so the thing is, is that with, especially with the mandates that doctors have now, we're losing 168 doctors per day from our system. And because they're opting out because it's just too much, they're not getting to help people. That's not what they got in it for. All of the things that they're required to do to get paid, they're having to triple and quadruple book patients just to be able to cover their costs. And it's just there's time in there for them to really be up to date on what's actually happening with you specifically. So my intention is for Pillow Effects to be huge and to be global. Well, we need it so much. And what I love, I love everything that you just said. And, and this is literally what this podcast represents is becoming the CEO of your health, that we have to take personal responsibility, that we've got to, you know, because so often we're being, especially, you know, this is a mostly women podcast. I just want to take a moment and say how in such awe I always am of women. You know, I'm always so blown away by, by women and what we're capable of doing. And, you know, so often we're just dismissed. We're dismissed in the medical system. We're misdiagnosed. We're mistreated. And th- we have the ability, once we get the knowledge, to make really powerful, really important decisions around our health and wellness. And that's exactly what this event is, is putting the right practitioners, experts in front of us so that we are armed with that information so that we can make intelligent decisions about our health and wellness. And I just want to say that you're absolutely right. This needs to be, yes. Anything else you want to leave us with, Michelle? And then tell us where we can find you, girl, and where we can plug into Paleo FX, all of that. Awesome. Well, I just want to say that so many people think, well, I'm too old. I'm already this far gone. I'm blah, 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 whatever. There's no such thing. So do not delay, begin transforming your health, your life, everything today. Don't wait. There is no, don't tomorrow, everything, buddy puts it off till tomorrow or to Monday or to whatever. And in all honesty, it's not too late to start and no one's promised tomorrow. So you need to really make the decision to put the investment because there's so many people that always think, well, 
oh, my health costs this much, or it costs too much to eat that way or to eat in a, in a, you know, healthier way or whatever. The deal is this, you're going to pay for it now, or you're going to pay for it later. You make the decision of which one. The problem is, is that later when you pay for it, it's going to be far more expensive because it's not just going to cost you money. It's going to cost you in time and quality of life and a whole lot of misery. So start today and see the cost as not a cost, but an investment because your health is the best investment you will ever, ever make because you have nothing if you're not healthy. Agreed. 100%. Definitely. Amen, girl. I love the way you said that. Yes. Okay. Where can we find you? So I'm on Instagram at Dana Michelle Norris and Facebook at Dana Michelle Norris and on Twitter at D Michelle Norris and then PaleoFX, paleofx.com. And my website is in the process of being taken care of right now. And that's Dana Michelle Norris.com. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh my gosh. You just, so many areas of focus. I'm so grateful to you. But ultimately that, that powerful message of transformation and what we can do for our health, it's just, it's the reminder that we're always needing. I just want to say thank you so much for showing up today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I was, I adore you and love you. And I'm so honored to be on your podcast. Mm, Same here, honey. Love you. Love you. What a story and a journey. I can't imagine what Michelle's life would have been if she had not listened to that inner pilot and inner wisdom while she was healing from the death of her daughter. You know, so often a lot of opinions about how we should manage trauma or heal from trauma is out there and we just have to listen to our gut and just work through that process. And I love that Michelle has given us permission to do that. Our inner wisdom and intuition is the best tool that we have for tuning into our body and our calling. It's not a voice we listen to enough, and Michelle is clearly aware of that, and I'm so glad she shared that beautiful gift with us today. Now, if you are feeling inspired by Michelle's mission and you are like, I want to check out this amazing PaleoFX event, the conference takes place in Austin, Texas in April this year. I will personally be speaking there again. I'm so excited. I'm going to be talking about hormones and root causes and all the things I love to talk about here on this podcast. Other functional practitioners who have been featured here on this podcast will also be there because Michelle and Keith, her husband, they curate some of the most incredible up-to-date information when it comes to functional medicine. And so it's such a great event. Not only do you get a lot of inspiration around food and eating, but you also get a lot of inspiration around functional health and healthcare. Now, Michelle has given me a link for 25% off to attend the event, which I think is just absolutely amazing. This will be my third year going with Alex, and we absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite conferences because, again, of all that health-related content, some of my favorite functional experts in the world are going to be there, and this year is going to be no different. So if you want to go check it out, you want to get that 20% off to come and come see me in Austin, Texas, which, by the way, is such a cool city in April. It's not too hot. It's a lot of fun activity. Again, we have fun every time we go. The link will be in the show notes for episode 158 or on my website as well at drmarisa.com slash podcast. 
Thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On this upcoming episode, I'm bringing on one of my dearest friends, Dr. Rita Marie Lascauzo, and we're going to be speaking into how to jumpstart your energy and shrink your waist by optimizing your blood sugar. And let me tell you, your liver has everything to do with blood sugar. I'm so excited that we're going to dive into that connection as well in the episode. Until then, have an amazing day. 